Hey there, welcome to episode 51 of the Let's Innovate for Vegas audio program. I am your host, Dan Hugo, Managing Director of the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, a 501c3 public charity, a Nevada nonprofit corporation dedicated to enabling and encouraging ideation, innovation, and implementation to make our communities better. I bet you didn't know that, although I've said it many times. Today is, it's the, uh, a little bit late in the day for my normal Friday publication. I normally would record this in the morning or the night before, busy week. Uh, Today is Friday, February 9th, 2024, Super Bowl, coming up fast. Great time to lay low, stay off the streets stay away from downtown. So today we are going to be uh, talking about discovering and sharing media content like the thing you are listening to right now, this audio program. There are many content creators, myself included, uh, out there making content in the greater Vegas area, maybe about the greatest greater Vegas area, certainly of interest to people in the greater Vegas area or beyond You don't have to be in Vegas to listen to this audio program or any of the other ones I'm referencing. Uh, So how does one locate these and inform others when we do? Sharing, subscribing, the things you always hear your YouTube channel content creators telling you to do. Like and share, subscribe. um, Applies to most things on the internet nowadays. But how do you do it? First, as always, the links. I've just read you the summary of this audio program episode in the show notes, the link should be there as well. And that's something we'll be talking about today is uh, how we as content creators, as producers of these works of art, actually share these, including show notes or other useful information. Uh, in the links, we got the Innovate for Vegas Foundation homepage, of course, our GitHub org. Don't forget, we're a 501c3 nonprofit public charity. If you do want to donate to our effort, to our cause, our ongoing projects and outreach and so on, our donate link is on our website. Uh, Not a hard sell, but tax deductible. You never know. I have a few uh, Wikipedia links. RSS, if you are not familiar, the RDF simple syndication, really simple syndication, et cetera, et cetera. There's uh, some history there. Uh, I actually worked at Netscape back when they were doing RDF. SS, RSS, uh, resource description format, f- format, framework, RDF is useful for its own things as a transport. Uh, if not HTML, I would almost recommend RDF instead of, uh, what I'm going to talk about today. But in the meantime, RSS is what it is, it is described there. It will point to some of the standard docs. Uh, probably Dave Weiner's RSS 2.0 is still in use. I believe that's still hosted at Harvard. Check the Wikipedia page for those. Uh, the Atom standard, which has not caught on. It was a, a little bit more rigorously defined take on, on a syndication file format in XML. A, a schema file format for XML is a schema, which describes which tags, which elements, which attributes go with which and what they mean, sort of. <laughs> uh, podcasting. What is podcasting anyway? Uh, Wikipedia link as well. Uh, podcast comes from a collaboration between Adam Curry and Steve Jobs back in the day. Somewhere there's uh, some video and some stills of Adam Curry demonstrating how podcasts work at, um, I think it was Macworld, so a long time ago. So kudos to Adam Curry for jumpstarting this, Dave Weiner for adding the enclosure link to the RSS feed standard and to so many people who have adopted it and made it what it is today with some caveats. Uh, The schema.org web feed schema, I have a link to that. Uh, Web feeds are more general versions of a podcast feed. RSS is a general feed. It's not a podcast feed, but You could differentiate them. The big difference between an uh, RSS feed for, say, news or comments or an open search results page, if you're using open search, uh, is the enclosure tag, which is where you stick a link to your MP3 file. 
So not not really rocket science, but uh, schema.org has web feeds, it has podcast series, it has a few other uh, predefined schema, and it has elements, uh, schema that can be combined into a new schema. So it'd be reasonably easy to do what I'm suggesting here. Everything is easy, right? Uh, Anil Dash just posted a, a blog post. Uh, today's the ninth, so the sixth, three days ago. Wherever you get your podcasts, uh, it's an interesting, very brief take on why podcasting has become what it is today. You can you can find this podcast in many places. You can find us on the podcast index, even though I didn't have to publish our content there. So in some cases, you can find podcasts wherever you look. In other cases, you only find podcasts where the content creator or someone has submitted a podcast, sometimes with authority to do so. So there's a confirmation loop. And if you want to get your podcast published in multiple places, it can actually be a bit of a chore. So I don't totally buy Anil's point, but he's getting a lot of attention with it. So good. Uh, Did you know that Google Podcasts is going away and they're going to lean more heavily on YouTube podcasts. So YouTube music, YouTube, whatever it is, uh, has a podcast feature. They can now ingest RSS feeds. So I have a link to the Google support page about that. So you can now view and listen to podcasts on YouTube. People have called sort of their, their own video programs, podcasts. It tends to be a program where they're interviewing people or, or like me, maybe talking solo rather than like a, a documentary or, or drama or reaction video, um, podcast video. See right away, you're, you're kind of breaking the naming convention, which should change anyway. You can present a program that I'm going to say could easily be audio only. So you can take a a YouTube podcast and strip away the video, just publish the audio in the other usual places. So you could use that as a a dividing line, I suppose. So you can now ingest your RSS feeds into YouTube. So publishing could be that much easier for those of us who try to get our content in different places per Anil Dash's suggestion which is, it's not a bad idea. I'm, I'm not against the notion. I just wish it was actually easier to do. Uh, YouTube has also had video feed, video channel RSS feeds for a while, for a long time. Uh, so I have a, uh, a link to a blog post by Daniel Meisler about how to do that. I just checked it the other day, picked a feed that I subscribed to, grabbed the RSS feed. So it, it can be done. You could subscribe to video feeds and in fact, some some uh, pod catcher software allows you to subscribe to feeds. I say allows. <laughs> they will parse an RSS feed with a with a link to a video or audio or whatever. So it's interesting if RSS is going to be the way things are, that it should not be podcasts and then anything else. You must go to the website. So RSS feeds from YouTube. Interesting. I have not checked the other popular video platforms. So I don't know if Twitch or Locals or Patreon or uh, Flowplane, Floatplane or Rumble, etc. There are many, many lesser. YouTube obviously gets all the, the sun shining on it, but there is some value to that if they are willing to publish RSS feeds reliably. So having a place where, you you know, instead of saying, oh, find your podcast, I, I say this too, wherever you're reading or listening to this or wherever you got this program, there, there is something to be said, although YouTube is, since Google bought them, probably was their downfall. But there is something to be said for having a well-known location. In fact, fun fact, if you, uh, there's, a, there's an entire sort of loose standard called well-known location. <laughs> I think it's it's a dot well dash known as a directory at the root of your website. And in there you put files that are in a well-known location. So, uh, but if you know that you can find a particular show or program or content creator on YouTube, you can start there and then you can say, Oh, I'm not saying this is good. I'm, I think this is actually sort of bad because if you get kicked off YouTube, suddenly nobody knows where to find you. So you should be publishing your brand first on your own website if possible. The posse approach, publish on own server, 
syndicate everywhere, P-O-S-S-E. Uh, but you can start at YouTube. It's a well-known location, so that's fine. One of the things that Neil points out in his article is that you could, as a podcaster, change where you host your podcast and nobody needs to worry about it because all the links will just redirect and all that. That's probably true. It often is, usually is, but it does put some of the onus on the uh, content creator or publisher. It can be a little bit wonky. So got to have those 301s, 301 redirects. So the, uh, the, the use of YouTube as a starting point is not unreasonable, but it is not great. Uh, but the ability to have an RSS feed means I could subscribe. Now I'm not beholden to the recommendation page as long as your channel has enabled, because I think it might be a preference. As long as your channel has enabled an RSS feed, I can subscribe to your show. I can watch it as though it were embedded in a, you know my own page or reader or whatever, right? So I don't, I'm going to assume they somehow figured out how to track metrics so that you still get your viewer numbers and all that. But bottom line, you could use RSS feeds to view your YouTube, at least, video content. I have linked to the Podcast Index, which is a project uh, that was started by Adam Curry in collaboration with a coder, and I can't remember his name. I have listened to the Podcasting 2.0 podcast, which is about this effort. They've added several extensions to the RSS uh, format or schema for podcast distribution, several things like licensing, whether it's locked, so you are not supposed to enable kind of distribution and redistribution, to, uh, which is one of the things that makes RSS good, is the ability to do that. <laughs> but I think the notion is having the link is one thing, but the content is the other. Like, I don't want you to move my, my uh, the MP3 file, most likely, of my audio program to your server, right? So maybe one authoritative point of uh, publication of the content and then linking to it, that's, uh, that's different. And I'm, I want to say that's what the locked setting or attribute does. Um, I haven't looked at it in a while, but something like that. Uh, Podcasting 2.0, adding extensions to an extended RSS schema for podcasts that Apple has really added a ton of stuff to uh, to fit into their iTunes presentation. So there's a not have, having the wild, wild west, the WWW is, can be good in the early days, but as far as sustainable implementations that everybody uses the same meanings of things and so on can get a little chaotic. So we'll see where that goes. And finally, I'll mention the, mention this at the end, the outline processor markup language, the OPML the file that you probably download if you want to export your your RSS subscriptions. It's a general outline processor markup language, right? So it does a lot of extra work to indicate uh, outlines and list items. And as I'll mention later, uh, you can do that with HTML. So there's not really a need to have a non-human readable separate XML file for this. But my opinion, that's what this episode is about. By the way, if you ever want to come on and talk about things like this, you're more than welcome. Uh, we should have guests more often. Now, on with the show. So in the beginning, uh, I have to say I was an early adopter of uh, podcasts. So when I first discovered how they worked, I actually had a, uh, I had a Rio CDR MP3 player. So I could burn CDs, CDR, you know, recordable CDs with MP3 audio. It could be music, but I could also listen to podcasts. I would burn a CD and I had a, uh, my head unit in my diesel Jetta could play, um, could play MP3s on, on a CD. So this was before thumb drives became, you know, pennies. So I could put a CD and play during a road trip because the diesel Jetta had ridiculous uh, range. So I could hear, and in fact, one time I did listen to like, I don't even know, hours and hours of uh, tech TV, Leo Laporte. So uh, I've been I've been consuming <clears throat> I've been consuming podcasts for a long time. So RSS and the whole history is very interesting. Uh, at one point, we were uh, we had a podcast network, a radio Sunnyvale project that we had in Sunnyvale, California. So we were publishing the RSS. 
I was consuming the RSS, people were actually listening to our audio program. So it certainly was an enabling piece, the RSS and the distribution scheme uh, to be able to share your content. So now, I mean, at this point, your your audio program or your video, your your MP4 file or your MP3 file or your FLAC or WAVE or whatever you're using for your audio or video, um, those can be anywhere as long as you point to it. So you can host it yourself. You can put it on an S3 bucket. You can put it on your Google Drive and publicly uh, share publicly, public share uh, folder, uh, whatever the bandwidth limits are on that. So you could have your files anywhere. But the question is, where do you put your RSS uh, file, your feed, so that people can find it? Uh, I mentioned the name podcast comes from the inner interaction or intersection between Apple, Steve Jobs, and the iPod, and Adam Curry, formerly of MTV, uh, a, a video jock, I guess, of EJ. Uh, he and Adam, I'm sorry, he, Adam Curry, and uh, John C. Dvorak, I believe, are still publishing the No Agenda podcast, which I used to listen to all the time until I actually had a minor argument with Adam Curry, but I was like, eh, need to change it up a little bit. So, but I am a, an Adam Curry fan from the perspective of what he accomplished in enabling podcasts. Uh, Joe Rogan is often credited as the guy who started it all, but uh, Joe Rogan has had Adam Curry on his show the Joe Rogan experience, which I don't really watch, but I did see that one. He had him on and they talked about the history of podcasting and so on. So uh, Joe Rogan doesn't even take credit for uh, doing this though, <clears throat> though he is given said credit. Uh, RSS evolved with his, uh, and it was designed to be extensible. So that's XML pretty much is. So a lot of influence from Apple, they pretty much own the RSS standard that people use, um, whether your content create, uh, I'm sorry, whether your content contains foul language, <laughs> uh, different, different extra attributes they've added, uh, regarding licensing and so on. So, uh, some have said that Apple has been a reasonably good steward. They've been mostly hands off, which is mostly true. Uh, the ability to publish your podcast to iTunes is probably helpful. Although I was going to do that and you now have to, they really put up a bit of a, a hurdle to hurdle, hurdle like a wall to, uh, to prevent just any old content creator from publishing on the iTunes distribution platform. So, uh, at present, none of my episodes for any of my programs appear on iTunes only because they made it kind of a pain. Whereas, uh, most other platforms you sign up, you confirm the, uh, contact email address in the feed that you own it by responding or clicking on a thing. And, uh, lo and behold, they import your RSS feed from wherever you told them to, and you are now sharing your content at another place. So Amazon music even is like that. So there you go. Uh, unstructured growth can go weird though. So discovering podcasts, usually there's like a little orange icon or now you can go to, if you go to a website and they, they say, Hey, you can listen to our program. And then they have like eight different platforms. So I'll, I'm going to pause here for a moment. Bleep. Okay. Now we're back. Uh, I had to get some water. So much to talk about today. So discovering podcasts can be something of a challenge. There is a meta tag that the, the author of a web page or the platform itself, Spotify, et cetera, can include on uh, application slash XML plus RSS, I think it is, or RSS plus XML, to point to a feed file, an XML RSS file, or Atom. And uh, so discovery from a machine standpoint, if you say subscribe to, like if you post, uh, if you paste, I should say, if you paste a website link of a human readable web page into your favorite podcast application, your pod catcher, it should be able to visit the website. It should find the meta tag. It should say, oh, that's where the RSS feed is. It should open the RSS feed. It should determine that it's a valid RSS file, that the schema is appropriate and readable. And then you'll start to see, uh, oh, subscribe to new podcasts and here are the recent episodes. So that usually works. If you have a, a content creator or a platform that does publish that information correctly, uh, 
Now, what happens if you want to subscribe to a platform that is not listed on the website? Well, you can do that, but now you're venturing into the, like, uh, what is the URL bar? How do I copy a URL? What does this mean? Right? So the, the nature of subscribing, because there's so much unstructured growth, oh, it's easy. It's a piece of cake that doesn't make it easy on the consumer side to broadly distribute your content to anyone, right? If you say I'm on YouTube and anyone can click on YouTube and find your channel and watch a video, oh, I can actually subscribe to this channel or I can bookmark the whole channel and don't even have to sign up for YouTube. Okay. Well now we're kind of talking. Well, what if I want to watch your YouTube channel in another website? Well, Maybe I pull your RSS feed from YouTube and I embed it in a web page. Maybe it's your own web page. Maybe I have a web page of the channels that I watch, or maybe you have a web page for your channel that has all of your content from your feed. So I can just visit your website and I, maybe I look at your pictures and I read your blog and then I look at your videos. So maybe that's a, another model. So, so things can work like that. But when you tell people go wherever you find your podcasts and someone's new to the game, Maybe they're like, okay, I use iTunes. Oh, you're not on iTunes. And as I just described, Apple has made it a little bit more difficult. So if you're not on iTunes, now what? Right. <laughs> uh, the, my silence truncation may have removed my long pause there, but uh, yeah, what do you do? The discovery of the podcast is not impossible. It's not snapping the fingers. Why? Because often those links I mentioned will go to a platform that you want your audio programming to appear on. So there may not be a link for the one I want. Like I said, there may not be an iTunes link. Don't, you can't find us on iTunes. So now you have to copy that URL, but the machine knows where the links are, right? You can make the link to your audio program feed machine discoverable, but it's not necessarily human discoverable. And then guess what? When you uh, look at that link, if you click on an RSS feed link, generally not human readable. Uh, there was a time when the Mozilla browser would render an XML file as a, almost like an outline. <laughs> you could actually just see it uh, pretty printed. So it was actually uh, indented and so on with the tags. So you could at least say, oh, okay, this is an XML file and oh, there's the enclosure link and all that. I think the, the common practice now is to either not display anything or to just display the text of the XML file. So you just see a giant block of text with no formatting, no spacing, no tabs, not as pretty. So now you are making the mechanism of, of discovery and, and, um, subscription and delivery and all that incumbent on someone knowing what to do with this RSS file in the, in the extremely likely case where you are not publishing to their platform. So now they have to, they have to know what to do. So you've kind of put up a barrier to entry right there. Uh, so yeah, RSS and, and Atom files are both XML. They're not directly visible. So that extra step could be the difference. And this is always true anywhere. Whenever you have like a sequence of steps for users to follow, you are likely to drop a substantial number of potential, what you could call conversions at every step. So click here. Okay. Now click here. Oh, I don't want to click again. I'm done. So you, you might lose, you know, 20% or 80%, who knows, of, of the potential people that might subscribe to your show because you've made it tricky. Uh, it's the nature of the tools. The tools actually work. It's the, uh, you know, if you said, okay, you got to have a screwdriver, and then it's like, um, oh, we meant a Torx screwdriver. You're like, you said screwdriver. I have a screwdriver. Mm, yeah, but you have the wrong kind. <laughs> For those who know, oh, of course, I have my entire Torx bit set right here all good. But to the casual user, I just wanted to unscrew the screw and I didn't know I had to have a special, you know, there's a, there's an entire, um, you know, 80, 20 problem. 80% of your audience doesn't use <laughs> the tools. Uh, that's not exactly how I would use the 80, 20 problem. But, uh, anyway, so it's something to think about is the barrier to entry and why RSS is cool because it works, but not as cool because getting it to work is not always a snap of the fingers, uh, extensions to the XML base of RSS. So RSS was based very early on. Like I said, the RDF, uh, syndication format, they implemented it as a RSS as an XML file, an XML schema. 
in, uh, I think it was version 9 point something, 9.1, I'm sorry, 0.91, uh, something like that. And way back when, and now there's RSS, RSS 2.0, there's RSS 1.0, I think. I think all of them are still valid, but they have different features. Uh, podcast. So Apple, as I mentioned, has added some extensions. So I don't know if that's still RSS 2.0 or with the Apple schema namespace, probably. Uh, and I, I got to be honest with you, I haven't looked at the precise specification for the Apple iTunes podcast extensions. Uh, but then there's the podcasting 2.0 effort and the, uh, the new extensions that they're adding that are not Apple. Uh, I don't know if the extensions from Apple are, I think they're, they're iTunes namespaced, if I recall. So yet more stuff to support. And I have linked to the podcast index website where they're driving this effort. They index podcasts from the, out on the internets by finding RSS feeds. They have done a really decent job, I think. So what they're doing is great. However, it's still using this, um, this technology that, I mean, let's, let's throw back a little bit to those Netscape days. And when I was working at Netscape, most people had a dial up modem, maybe eventually running at 53 kilobits per second. A lot of us, when I was working at Netscape, I had my 33.6 US Robotics 33.6 modem. So a lot of people were using modems. So downloading files took a while. If you wanted to download a lot of files, there was something called the slash dot effect. So if you had a million people that wanted to download a, an HTML page or anything, so a million people hitting a server, a million people is not horrible today as far as raw you know, number of accesses, but each one of those connections was slowly downloading files. So that means every one of those connections was staying open for a long time, relatively long time. So back in the day before internet had the scale it does today, uh, it was not necessarily the number of connections, although that was also a problem, but it was that they were staying open for a long time to download a lot of files. So the, everything would get really slow and then it would just get worse and worse. And eventually the server would, you know, cause people are still connecting and the connections are staying open for longer and longer as the machine slows down to service more and more slow connections. And it was horrible. So an RSS scheme and this is where feed burner came in and all like what if we could share a mini index of what has been published the last 20 entries of our blog page or our blog or the last 20 news stories or whatever 20 ish so for a while you would just limit your rss feed to 20 entries that gets you a disp uh, a fan out effect you can have your content links be shared far and wide more easily in a more scalable stacked way. And now I'm able to say, Oh, do I want to visit that website? Okay. I can see the summary here. Some, some content creators or platforms will publish the entire article content in their RSS feed. Some will only post uh, the link. Some will post a link in a brief teaser or a deck if you like. So, there's a variety of different ways of using it, but one of the problems it was solving was now I can see what's on the site without taking down the site. It was a nice little bonus, but it also makes it really, if you are an RSS user, you know, you can skim through headlines from multiple websites all at once. Uh, some platform, you know, RSS reader platforms and tools will merge. So you'll see one feed of all of your, you know, today's updates from all of your subscriptions some, I mean, you can do it yourself. So RSS as a transport format, if you ever heard of U, um, Yahoo Pipes, Yahoo Pipes could manipulate RSS feeds as part of their tool set. So that was kind of cool. Open search returns their results as um, essentially as RSS. There might be some extensions to that, but it's an RSS file. So you can, if you can consume RSS, which is an XML uh, link, distribution channel, right? It's a schema for, uh, it's a way to share a list of links, which, uh, which is also OPML. Hmm. So RSS is, gr is good for that. Uh, and it was scalable. It allowed many people to visit quote unquote, a website's summary content as a syndication file, rather than taking down a website <laughs> with their slow connections. So interesting times and at the time in the wild wild west of the 
late 90s, mid late 90s. Uh, it was great. It was perfect. It shows what can happen when you have problems and tools and the capability of uh, applying some intuition and some just creativity and some spare time and effort and expertise. Yeah, throw all that together, you end up with a working situation, a working solution uh, that makes the situation better. No more taking down websites. Oh, I can just subscribe to the RSS feed. Adam Curry comes along, adds the, uh, the notion to Dave Weiner's implementation. They add the enclosure tag, history. So now you have this, this standard floating around that, you know, oh, now we don't need an XML uh, feed. We really want people to visit our website so that we can get our ad revenue, so we get our visitor stats, so we can get that third-party cookie deployed. <laughs> we must have people coming to our website. So suddenly syndication was uh, was like, hmm, do we really want to do it? Um, Facebook used to uh, have an RSS feed, if I recall correctly. Twitter used, I think Twitter used to have an RSS feed. Mastodon has an RSS feed by default for each person you're following, so that's nice. Uh, YouTube has an RSS feed, as I mentioned, so that's nice, etc. So some some places do uh, support RSS readers and the people who use them, which is very nice. Uh, is there a better way? Maybe. So open standards are great, as I said, and I'm not arguing with that. So the existence of RSS and the problems it solved and the, the use cases it has today are fine. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we should kill RSS because that has been a topic of discussion now and then like RSS is dead. Uh, I do say, I will say that Google reader was an excellent, like superior, uh, tool for consuming RSS feeds and, you know, reading news or whatever. And I think you could somehow, uh, I think they may have had a podcast player in there somewhere. I can't remember when they shut that down and then Feedly took over and then Feedly has been, I, I, I did, I even paid for a professional a pro, whatever subscriber feedly account to manage my feeds and to get all the features and whatever uh they started going off the rails and i said i'm not i don't need to pay for this so i use rss feeds less because they tried to they tried to make it too interesting like we have a thing that works what can we do to break it so there you go in my opinion you may be using feedly or some other tool that works great for you that's wonderful now i will say one of the nice things is that you can get some sort of a reader in different forms on different devices. Uh, if you just want to read headlines in a brief description or see, you know, the, the bare minimum syndicated format of uh, content in whatever format your device or your tool or platform presents it to you, eh, you know, it's pretty good. It's like, it's like, um, it's like somebody telling you a story secondhand, right? Like, mm, this might not be exactly what they had in mind on the, on the main source of this article or content, but you're getting most of it. I'm not saying they're altering the content, but I am saying it doesn't look the same or it doesn't look as intended every time. And I'll get into that with uh, the Spotify issue uh, at some point during this episode. Uh, a lot of adoption of uh, at varying rates has made RSS reasonably, reasonably, I'm reading from my notes here, reasonably popular and very useful, as I've said. Uh, as long as the feeds are implemented correctly, so you have to follow some one of the RSS version standards with extensions and whatnot. So if you implement them incorrectly or if there's any vague notion of what a particular uh, attribute or tag element is supposed to be, well, you get what you get. Uh, you should be updating them consistently. Occasionally, I will see an RSS feed that hasn't been updated for six months, but the website is current. Okay, so your RSS feed is broken. It's not updating but you tell the, the webmaster or whoever, and they don't really care. <laughs> so you have to update them consistently. They have to be intimately tied to your content, whatever it is. If you're going to use them, you should continue to use them. You should not deprecate them. Uh, sometimes they'll just, uh, they will not be updated. As I said, sometimes they'll just disappear. And sometimes there will be an announcement like, oh, we're not supporting RSS anymore. Sometimes it will move and you got to do that 301 redirect. There's a whole, there's a whole infrastructure for that. Uh, and they have to be useful. So if you only publish the, the headline of an article and a link, okay. <clears throat> the open graph schema, the open graph standard that Facebook adopted completely and that many other 
sites make use of enables a, a, a website without RSS. You don't have to use RSS. You can say, if you visit this link and you look for these uh, meta tags in the head section of my HTML standard format document, you will find title, link, description, image. That's what you need. So the, the populace at large has gotten used to seeing that in their news feed, on their wall, whatever, whatever the term is, wherever they are. So the notion of publishing a paragraph description without formatting and a picture of some kind and the title, the headline of an article or a title of a, of a document, whatever it is, and the link to the actual document. Those four things constitute, I think that's the bare minimum of an open graph meta tag set, right? Those are required. I think the link is, if the link, the link may be optional. It may uh, default to the, where the document was found. But if you end up distributing, you're essentially pointing to the canonical document, right? So if the link gets reshared uh, from on another site, you could have a link to the origin. Yeah, so that works. So if you make your RSS feed useful by including those four things, you and just keep doing it, then you're doing okay. However, with the extensions that have been added, especially for podcasting, but extent, well, I mean, that's the crux of this. The, the RSS extensions for podcasts are not universally supported. So some will work the way you think some will not, uh, because people are consuming podcasts in podcatcher tools. That was a term that I think Adam Curry came up with, uh, cause he said, I want a tool that will go out and catch all my subscriptions. like like catching fish and then I can enjoy them later on my iPod at my leisure. So the notion is fine as long as your podcatcher software can keep up with any of the newest standards that have been changed or added and it does what you think. And one of my big problems with RSS today is that when you publish on Spotify, for example, which used to be Anchor, so now it's Spotify for podcasters, you publish your content there, they will display your RSS feed your uh, feed item as an episode. And if you have put descriptive text in there in any structured way, because RSS is not HTML, you in order to put HTML formatting in your RSS feed, you have to use something called C data, and then it's open season on what that actually looks like. <laughs> so Spotify does, an, uh, does a horrible job. I've looked at some other uh, portals, other web-based, you know, if, uh, I'm not looking from the application. So if there's a mobile app, who knows what's going to happen? I, I, the Spotify application display on mobile on an Android device, uh, displaying an episode page with any sort of rich text in the description. So I typically have a bullet list. So I use a, a H2 headline for show notes, the title, and then, uh, the, you know, show notes. And then I have a bullet list host and summary. And then I have another H3 tag for links. And then I have a bullet list of links bullets. So, uh, not every platform will display that as intended and it just turns into a mess. And so because the RSS feed has become a multi-purpose tool rather than a distribution tool, you now have like, Hmm, I guess we'll display HTML like this or like that. Right. And if your browser did that, you'd go nuts, but it depends on how the platform that is distributing your podcast. So it reads your RSS file. Uh, maybe it copies it even it copies it locally. And then they say, Oh, what's the description for this episode? Let's generate a web page for it. And they uh, are at their, <laughs> it's at their uh, discretion, how to render what you have sent. Um, yeah, not great. I'm never really happy with what comes out, which is one of the reasons why we will begin posting our original content, which is some of the, which is why I'm talking about this today. So one of the projects as part of Smart Social is to have a podcast or media uh, channel discovery and publication tool such that it looks the way you want it to. So, so more care will be taken to, to have readable content because if you're distributing your content via RSS and then you include thoughtful, useful information as I try to, and then it gets thrown away or it gets mangled. So it's unreadable. 
you're doing a disservice not to me you are doing a disservice to me you're doing a disservice to the people trying to listen to my content and then make use of the information i've provided in the description which is fundamentally broken i don't have any control of the, over that so i'm i'm stuck right so making a platform as a primary publication point an authoritative source primary source of your creation, your content creation efforts, your content allows you to control what it looks like and what information is visible and how, right? So ultimately you would want your people, your, your listeners, your watchers, your viewers, uh, your readers, if they're finding your content elsewhere via RSS feeds and redistribution, they should always point back to you say, Hey, if you want these links, they are on this episode page on our website in all their readable glory, maybe even translated to other languages. So that, uh, that's not my conclusion, but that's, that's where I'm headed with this. So embarrassment of riches or paradox of choice. Sorry, I had to scroll my notes. Uh, so a planet scale effort goes into developing web browsers. I don't know if you know this. I used to work in Netscape a long, long time ago. The Firefox effort, even though they have a very tiny market share, they really need more people to use alternate platforms. So if everybody uses one platform, <clears throat> excuse me, got to get that voice back in, back in line. If everybody uses one web browser, the one web browser can start taking liberties with how it does things. But if there are multiple web browsers implementing the standard, the way to render HTML, the way to run JavaScript, etc., then you, you're, you're kind of held to a standard, literally, that you have to follow. You can't start rolling out features that you want to implement and breaks other websites and so on. So Firefox will eventually lose the ability to have a seat at the table, so to speak. And that's unfortunate. Uh, but there is a lot of effort that goes into, there's a web standards group, the W3C, the web worldwide web consortium. So multiple companies, multiple representatives talking about how to implement standards. What should they do? What should happen when you render a list, etc. Uh, RSS doesn't have that. So then it comes down to companies. And if Apple has been the steward of RSS for, for podcasting for many years, as is, as is supposed, then it, the onus has been on them to maintain a standard that can be implemented by others if it's truly open. So then you have podcasting 2.0 and Adam Curry and, and his developer colleague and then whoever else is jumping on to implement things. They're doing things in a new way adding things to an extensible standard. So that's fine. But now you have different applications that people are using to consume their podcast to their podcatcher software. Now those all have to adopt and implement the new standards, which is fine, right? None of this is awful, but it is something to think about because I, my favorite tool that works for me, great. They may say, mm, yeah, we don't want to implement the podcasting 2.0 stuff, or we're only going to implement half. <laughs> Now you have the added joy of your end users saying, well, wait, this doesn't work the way you're describing. And this is, you know, this is a problem with any open platform, you know, Android. Oh, you can run Android on any device. And it has, then you get divert divergence of uh, user experience. That's probably the main problem from a consumer point of view. So yeah, you have so many choices, all this open standard and open tools and different, different uh, possibilities, but then it turns into something of a chore to have early adopter, I'm sorry, late adopters, mainstream adopters jump in and say, oh, okay, I'm interested in this. We talked about this earlier. I have to figure out how to get the link and where to put it. And if you're not, oh, you're not on iTunes. So what do I do now? Uh, what does it mean to be on podcast index? Where's the index of indexes, et cetera. So there's, uh, there is an embarrassment of riches. I think it's uh, the paradox of choice comes in for the the uninformed mainstream adopter who just wants to listen to a podcast that they heard about. Now what? I'm, oh, I use Amazon Music. I, I found, and you're not on there. Yeah, you know, could, it could be any number of things that, that uh, is a barrier to entry. So double-edged sword, uh, like I said, embarrassment of riches or paradox of choice. I think it's paradox of choice for the end user. It's an embarrassment of riches for the content creators. So uh, where am I? Okay. So I did the different tools, uh, and then the syndication feed, uh, if only some sites implement it, uh, mostly we're talking about podcasting, but in general, 
some sites implement it, some sites don't. It becomes, as a consumer, again, as a mainstream adopter, consumer of content in general, like, ooh, I wonder if they have an RSS feed. You've added an additional element of potential consternation. <laughs> like, uh, oh, I tried to, and I tried to do this on, uh, with, with YouTube, by the way. I did attempt to discover, to use the auto discovery mechanism, the meta tag scheme. So typically you can put in the feed URL, I'm sorry, the page URL for something and the discovery mechanism, as I described earlier, uh, some code will go and grab the content of the URL that you've supplied and it will scan through the head, the beginning of the document to find a meta tag that links to an RSS feed. So I did that. I did that in three different places. So I, I pulled down the file directly and looked at it myself. A lot of JavaScript on those YouTube pages. Uh, I put it into a uh, feed validator so that it was supposed to discover the feed automatically. Could not locate it. Put it into a feed reader that I use uh, on my machine at home. Uh, it's called, a, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like Liferia. <laughs> it's a GNOME RSS client. Uh, it will pull down RSS files, manage subscriptions, render pages, kind of minimalist uh, style, but it works very slow. So it was able to find the feed, but didn't render the elements, the items in the feed. So it showed me just the raw text. So different ways of rendering this thing kind of gets a little bit tricky. You're like, eh, this is annoying. So you've, you've just made the RSS feature less useful by making it not completely compliant across a variety of different tools. So this embarrassment of riches thing can break down pretty quickly too. Uh, the paradox of choice didn't really enter the picture there. I should have been able to take that link and put it into my RSS reading tool and have it discover where the RSS feed is. So that just didn't work as expected, which is unfortunate. Uh, so I would say, what about HTML? Uh, HTML has come a long way. I was talking earlier about the, the planet scale effort that goes into developing web browsers. Well, there's been a ton of people implementing HTML libraries and rendering tools and syntax checkers, you know, checking the validity of a document. Not everybody was into XHTML and XHTML validation, but HTML5 has come a long way, has a lot of useful features, has built-in media players, it has built-in tags that handle um, semantic uh, structure of a document. There's a thing called schema.org that uh, has an entire notion of markup that you add as attributes to elements of an HTML document to give it a lot of the same features that you would find in an XML document. So it could be machine readable and human readable. And web browsers support rendering pages so that they kind of look the same. I mean, that's the goal, right? So now, instead of uh, trying to get my bulleted list of items, and you can check this now, wherever you're listening to this audio program, wherever you get your podcasts, do my show notes look reasonable? Can you find them? Can you read them? Are they visible? Um, I know Spotify will tend to render the head, the, it will have a description section of a episode page, and it might say show notes, and then it will put so much space under show notes that it's not visible in the allocated space. So you'd have to scroll down. You have to, you know, they don't help me. So if I can point you to an HTML page that looks the way I expect it to with the content, the links, the, the structure, language translation, accessibility, all these things that are part of HTML today, but I can include schema markup, schema.org markup, and I've put a link again to the web feed as one example. There's a rich set of tools available on schema.org as far as um, document types and different structures. Still a work in progress. It is supported by the major search engine vendors, but more importantly, it could be supported by podcatchers, for example. So you could point people to a page on your website or anywhere, really, that would support this. As long as they have the necessary schema.org markup, for example, that doesn't have to be the way, but, uh, or they can include some RDF. Uh, the, they can include the uh, schema.org can be implemented as JSON. Uh, what is it called? JSON. It's not JSONB. It's, uh, well, 
they can include some RDF structures in the page to get the same effect. So now you don't have to have RSS as JSON, which has been tried. You just say, here's a human readable page with the content you would need for a podcatcher or other syndication tool to extract the, the desired or expected information. So now you make your content visible to the people you're trying to reach, which is humans. You make the data available to the machines if they need it. So now if I'm trying to put together a syndicated article list or a, or a podcast, podcast feed, I can go figure out which episodes have been updated, which episodes are linked to where, where the files are. I can go through all that, but I can also make, now, and that works great if you're trying to stuff uh, MP3s into a tiny little, uh, I can't remember what, the, like I, I've had one or two before. <laughs> Uh, little teeny tiny podcast devices that listen to audio. They play MP3s and waves and stuff. They're like the size of a quarter. Nowadays, Bluetooth, the first, the little iPod mini or whatever it was that people were making watches out of, you know, so these little tiny devices, maybe they have enough memory if they're older, maybe they don't. Current devices probably have all the memory you would ever need as far as storage, right? Uh, flash. So if you can grab the full content of a web page. And, you know, AMP, uh, mobile, accelerated mobile pages, I think it was. AMP had a subset of HTML. You could filter HTML to be a subset. You know, if the file gets too big, too bad, right? So you, you can put the onus on the content creators and publishers to keep uh, pages reasonable. They can be conditional so that maybe, uh, maybe your page has a, a static HTML version that's very simple, really simple to syndicate. Uh, which a, with a more rich user experience for the browser-based view. So now your podcatcher software would get simplified HTML, sort of minimalist. But if you wanted to put a link to a picture, if you wanted to put a, um, what do you call it? If you want to put a bulleted list, if you want to put any sort of structured formatting, if you want to make your description useful, you know, maybe, maybe links to images are not going to be great because your device, your player is offline if you're listening to audio. But, you know, more often than not, nowadays, people are listening on their phone. So you may have an online device. You may want to see the picture, the album art, uh, diagrams associated with the audio program. Maybe it's a video. Maybe there's both. Maybe it's an audio and, you know, so now suddenly the notion of content creation presentation can be, can empower the creator and the publisher. And that might get a better user experience to the user so that they can, they can uh, read what you're trying to write. They can use screen readers to listen to what you're, you've written if you have typed words that they cannot see. Uh, so all these things kind of come along for free, quote unquote free, with web browsers in the modern era. But RSS is a completely separate thing that people are adding new stuff to supporting as can as they can uh and then the c data thing i mean because xml is not html right so you don't get a full rich collection of html tags as part of your rss schema so you you paste in c data a string of characters and hope for the best uh, we can do better and every single thing in an rss document can be represented in an html document as i've said so you don't lose anything but you gain the ability to publish your content for humans first, but machines like almost tied for first. Right? You're not really losing anything. So should we ditch RSS? No. Uh, too many tools use it. It's been around forever. It'd be like saying, should we get rid of, uh, should we get rid of, let's pick something. Uh, should we get rid of cassette tapes? <laughs> now those are already kind of on the way out, but should we get rid of CDs and DVDs? No, those are still in use, even though digital downloads and streaming and all that have they've taken over. But, you know, people are still buying physical media. So getting rid of things that don't implement modernity isn't necessarily the way to go because they still work, quote unquote, fine. RSS works fine for publishing your content as a syndication feed for other machines to read. So machine to machine communication works great. If you have a client like I do, I described earlier, Life Freya, Lifera, Life, whatever it is. <laughs> if you have Feedly, if you have whatever, they can go and figure out which site, which websites have <clears throat> published new feeds. 
they could then, you know, you, if you've linked to the homepage, of, I'm sorry, the, <clears throat> the content page. So you, you go to the homepage of a website, you grab their RSS feed link, you subscribe to it in your, your preferred tool. The tool can go and get the, uh, the syndication feed and it can display it, hopefully in a useful way. The tool could really grab the entire page which is a negative if you are looking at analytics because now you are not having, you're, you're having a fake page visit that gets counted incorrectly or you don't get a page visit, which is, uh, you know, I don't want you viewing my content in your web view. I want them to view the page as it's intended and all that, you know, so these are some challenges, but the fact is you could implement a full page view, you know, get the rich text for an item so for the case of a, of a podcast, if I had a page, a homepage for each episode, uh, I guess that's not a homepage. If I had an episode page for this episode and I linked to it, which I can do in the RSS feed, if the reader, the client software tools would say, oh, there is a web page associated with this. So rather than, and I can use a description just as you would with an open graph. So here's the uh, uh, deck like you see in a magazine or newspaper article, here's a deck, here's a brief summary, an abstract, if you will. Doesn't need formatting, doesn't need to, you know, be, doesn't need to be a bullet list. So it's essentially the summary part of my show notes, right? Here's what this episode is about. Title, summary, maybe host and guest. The more data you put on there, the more complicated it can be. But if you include that data as, as a metadata, as if, you know, the tags that support this, in RSS or in general, you can say, here's the data was published. Here are the host and guest and which I believe the podcast index podcasting 2.0 does and scheme.org does as well. You can you can allow the client software to display host and guest search on them. So it's not just plain text. There's a whole bunch of things that you can do. Can you do that with HTML? Yes, you can. You can use schema.org markup and mark up your content, uh, et cetera. So, RSS could enable these things if the client software would use uh, HTML rich content for the discovery, I'm sorry, for the description, if it would go out and say, oh, let me get the description block if it was marked up with like schema.org markup, for example. So it could still be used. Uh, but item two, because that's a lot to ask. And I, don't, I don't see people doing that. Uh, sitemaps as RSS, they are actually... That's totally legitimate. If you if you are a website publisher and you, you have a sitemap on your website to aid with robot crawlers from search engines, they can crawl a sitemap, which is a very stripped down version of what RSS is, or they can read your RSS feed or add them. So you, they can use an RSS feed to figure out what pages and, and items have changed on your website. So RSS could be the preferred sitemap re representation and you could use it more uh, deliberately, as I just described in the first item of this section. Um, so your client software could use the machine-readable part to figure out what is new, the basic information about the who, the what, the why, you know, the title, the description, the link to the audio or video file, etc. And then um, it would be up to the client to decide, well, I'd like to display the full web page or part of the content, which is in HTML, which is, you know, renderable in a standard way. I can pull the schema.org markup, et cetera. So in the first version, I'm sort of leaving it to chance that people could do this. In the second version, I'm suggesting that RSS should be the preferred way for any crawler, whether it's a podcatcher or otherwise. So sitemap format is interesting but RSS with more information in it could, could do double duty. So it could be just the syndication feed or it can be the syndication feed that leads to grabbing more rich text content or more information from actual structured, mark, uh, properly, micro, what is it, micro format? No, micro attributes, mini attributes, whatever it is. Schema.org attributed content. Or if you're into micro formats also, or open graph, whatever, whatever would, would actually work best. I think open graph has some relevant tools for, uh, or tags for linking to audio and video files. Uh, and of course the RSS and HTML should reference each other as they sort of do now, but make that much more, um, reliable. So actually putting these things in practice would make 
the proper linking in a useful way, it's sort of essential. So yes, I want my RSS feed to be discoverable for my entire website and for this particular channel, if I have multiple shows, et cetera, et cetera. And I want the RSS to always point to a well-formatted HTML, human-readable, human-first readable page of content or document that has what I want people to be able to find in a way that I'm hoping they will find it. I've put some time into the formatting of it. I would like them to see that formatting, etc. So not saying get rid of RSS, but I am saying RSS, if it was the booster rocket of our Saturn going to the moon, uh, at some point it runs out of fuel and we need to consider stage two, right? Uh, finally, a note on OPML. If you have ever exported your RSS feed of any kind to import it into another tool, you have probably exported an OPML file. OPML literally has information about the window sizes, right? It's a, I'm not a fan. I think it's, um, it has done its due. Is that even a word? It has done, it's, it's performed admirably and it's time to retire. So this one, I do suggest that it go away. Uh, first of all, you could distribute your RSS feed links, your subscriptions as an RSS file. So it doesn't necessarily need to be OPML. But second, as I think I mentioned earlier, uh, HTML has, so outline processing, right? It's, uh, it's got an outline and elements or items or whatever it is. Uh, you can make nested ordered and unordered lists. lists. You can have uh, diff dictionary definition uh, items. So you can, uh, you can uh, label, you can, you can tag a word, and then you can attach a definition to it. Uh, there's any number of rich possibilities with formatting full featured formatting. So if you want to highlight an element, if you want to put markdown in there, if you want to have pre-formatted code, you know, you want it to um, be a monospace font, you know, it's a, a block of JavaScript or Python or something. These are, these are sort of built in. They're de facto now with HTML. Uh, using OPML as a transport is okay, but it in itself is not human readable. So it's a transport format, but if you're going to do something as simple as transporting lists of things around, lists of subscriptions, why are you doing this when you can just as easily use a human readable, human first, uh, easily structurable, schema.org, et cetera, document that can be a part of a normal document maintenance tool chain. So I don't, oh, I have, now I have to maintain an OPML file and XML over here and I have to implement my RSS over there as XML. Those are not readable by humans. I have to hope that client software renders whatever's in them properly. Or you can just say, hey, you know what? I have an HTML file. It has schema.org markup in it. It's machine readable. And maybe it's an RDF block. Maybe it's embedded as attributes in the tags in the document. Either way, it's human readable first, machine readable, very, very close second or tied for first. But now I can maintain what I want my content to look like for the people I'm trying to get to. I'm not publishing my content for an AI robot to read. Oh, maybe I am, but I don't know it. But I really could publish content so that it's still machine readable, can be discovered, can be uh, excerpted. If I want to combine the, uh, the feed of the RSS with the rich description content of proper HTML found in, in the page, you know, maybe I link to an episode page that's simplified, AMP style. You know, maybe it's intended for smaller devices, smaller screens, or it doesn't have the, like I, I have show notes that I've been reading from right now, uh, not verbatim usually, but you know, I have an outline. Ooh, outline. If only there were an XML markup for that. So I have an outline. Uh, I use Obsidian, so it's a markdown document. If I could distribute markdown, and a podcatcher software or platforms like Spotify would render Markdown correctly, that would be okay because it still fits in the RSS standard with plain text unless you use C data. So you could literally paste in structurable text if clients would support it. So it's just a mishmash, a mishmash of uh, the embarrassment of riches problem. Do we need OPML? No. Could we 
tackle this in phases by using RSS pointing to rich text. So you still get the description, you still get a link to the page, but the client that people are using could take the extra effort to read the a section of the page. You know, even if they just read the, um, the open graph parts, right? Maybe your description has a little bit more useful information. Um, maybe they enable some structured data if they actually read from a, a description block. You know, the, the possibilities are there. The chance to do it, though, is at a time when people are starting to realize that the legacy that we have now maybe needs to be legacy that we start to build on again. So that's one of the things that we're trying to accomplish with Smart Social. Uh, what I would love to see for myself, I would like to be able to go somewhere, wherever you get your podcasts, and say, show me all the content creators, audio, video, etc., publishing about, in, uh, from, <laughs> related to, adjacent to uh, where I am, Greater Vegas. There are plenty of people who create YouTube videos about different things, whether it's food or the new casinos or the resorts or the special features or the sporting events or whatever. There are people like myself doing audio programs. There are people here who are not doing programming about Vegas per se, but they're doing uh, programs about Star Trek or you know whatever interests them. So they are local people creating content. They could be bloggers. They could be doing you know whatever it is. You should be able to, if you live in a community of humans, you should be able to figure out what people are talking about, what people are writing about, what they are creating content around, and you should be able to consume that content in an easier way. Uh, RSS has gotten us this far. Don't need to ditch it immediately, but I think we can do better. And I don't know that I've proposed necessarily the best next way to go, um, maybe returning to RDF in a more deliberate way would be better. Not sure, but I think it's worth experimenting with. And uh, that's one of the things we want to do with our Innovate for Vegas Foundation is enable and encourage ideation, innovation, and implementation to make our communities better. And if that means make it easier to discover and consume creative content from, about, within, without the Greater Vegas area, why not? On that note, I will ask that you visit our webpage if you are interested in donating to our cause. We are a 501c3 public uh, charity, sorry, uh, public charity, a Nevada nonprofit corporation. We have renamed our corporation from Code for Vegas Foundation to Innovate for Vegas Foundation in the state of Nevada. The letter was sent to the IRS to get our 501c3 affirmation letter to have our EIN which will not change, associated with our new name, which has. And that should be done any day now. They said it would take the maximum amount of time because they're always behind, probably using some COBOL tools. Uh, so whenever they get around to it, I will receive an affirmation letter and we will be Innovate for Vegas Foundation for the purposes of your tax deduction. That will always be true. Our EIN won't change, but just for, uh, for awareness. Uh, but we would always be uh, interested in learning about collaboration with people in and around the greater Vegas area, whether it's financial or time, interest, effort, experience, feedback, co-creation, the works. And I will leave it there. Thank you for listening. As always, don't forget to share and like if you know how to do that <laughs> with your wherever you find podcasts. And that is another thing that we really didn't get into, but how do I link to a podcast for next time? Thanks.